Uh, I'm glad today to have the opportunity to be here with you all and to preach from the Word of God. If I were to ask you today what it means to be filled with the Spirit, how would you respond? Most of us have heard um, at one point or another that we have to be Spirit-filled, but just like many other important doctrines in the church, it's often misunderstood. Today we're going to be looking at Ephesians 5, uh, 15 and 20, like Jordan just read. Uh, So please keep your Bibles open. But before we dive into our main text, I just want to touch on what it means and what it doesn't mean to be filled with the Spirit. Now, first and foremost, who is the Holy Spirit? We just sang a song called Holy, Holy, Holy. And there's a line in that song that says, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. You see, we as Christians worship the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So I just want to clarify today that when, when I refer to the Spirit, we're actually talking about God. The Holy Spirit is God. Now, there are those that teach to be Spirit-filled is to have some sort of emotional experience or to invoke an emotional response. And I'm not saying we can't feel emotions when we're praying or worshiping God. Of course we do. Believe it or not, God actually wants us to. And we're human after all, and emotions are a good thing. It's, it's how we react to what we're feeling. However, our emotions are not the measuring stick for our Christian walk. When Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, he isn't talking about an experience or, or feeling that causes us to lose control of our thoughts and our actions and our speech. And Galatians 5 and 23 actually lists self-control as a fruit of the Spirit, which is quite the opposite of what I just described. Now, on the other hand, to be Spirit-filled is, is not just obtaining mere head knowledge about Scripture. It's not just understanding all there is to know about theology. I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a wonderful thing to desire to learn more about God's Word, uh, but if we only use this knowledge to win arguments or, or keyboard fights or, or win debates, then we're really missing the mark. The Spirit of God fills us when we apply what we learn in the Bible to our lives. And it's important to note that it's the Spirit who allows us to understand the Scripture and also gives us the ability to obey it. In essence, you could say, to be filled with the Spirit means that the Holy Spirit is the dominating influence in your life. To be filled with the Spirit means that the Holy Spirit is the dominating influence in your life. An illustration I like to use to describe this would be a simple sailboat. You see, in Paul's day, sailboats ruled lakes and the seas. They were the best way to transport cargo and and livestock and people. These sailboats really advanced the ancient world, and they pretty much stuck around until the invention of steam-powered engines centuries later. The ships were governed by sails that used the power of the wind to move along the waters. The sails of the ships were filled with wind, which in turn moved these vessels to their destination. And you see, when the wind filled the sails, the boat operated as it should. And the same can be said for when the Holy Spirit fills the life of a believer. The Spirit fills us like wind fills the sail and gives us the strength and the power to lead a life worthy of our calling in Christ. Without the Spirit filling us, 
we would remain powerless to live the Christian life and we would just remain stagnant. And just like how the wind constantly fills the sail to move the boat, we need to be constantly filled with the Spirit uh, to move through our lives as children of God. In fact, when Paul writes, be filled with the Spirit, the Greek language actually implies it's a continuous action that we should keep being filled with the Spirit. I also want to mention that when we receive the Holy Spirit at the time of salvation, we receive all of Him. At no point in a Christian's life do we ever receive more of the Spirit. We don't receive Him in bits and pieces. Ephesians 1 and 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. However, to be filled with the Spirit should not be viewed as a one-time only event. It's an everyday choice that involves obedience and yielding to the promptings of the Spirit. We also don't need to stand around and, and beg God for Him to fill us with His Spirit. His will is that we should be. In fact, to be Spirit-filled is not a suggestion, it's a command. But it's our sinfulness that quenches the Spirit's work in our lives. You see, when we give in to sin and temptation, the, the Spirit's work is short-circuited in our lives. And if we're honest, many of us here act like if we could just be better or, or do better, if we could change our lives in some way, or maybe if we could follow the rules a little better to kill the sin in our life, then we could be filled with the Spirit. But church, that's exactly the opposite of what we need to do. We need to be Spirit-filled in order to conquer the sin that's in our life. The great evangelist D.L. Moody was once speaking to a large audience, and he held up an empty glass, and he asked, how do I remove the air from this glass? One man in the audience shouted, suck it out with a pump, to which Moody replied, that would create a vacuum and, and end up shattering the glass. After numerous other suggestions, Moody smiled and picked up a pitcher of water, and he filled the glass. And there, he said, all the air is now removed. He went on to explain that victory in the Christian life is not accomplished by sucking out a sin here and there, but by being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God filling our life is the only way, it's the only way, church, that we're going to have victory over sin in our Christian walk. It's the only way we can truly be effective in ministry and as servants of Christ. There's no such thing as a plan or an idea or some kind of lifestyle or any other gimmick that you can use to substitute a life filled with the Spirit. In the book of Acts, in chapter 2, we have an account of the Spirit first indwelling the disciples of Christ. And the Spirit at this time gave them the ability to speak in another language, and which communicated the gospel of Christ to the Jews who came from all the surrounding nations for the festival of Pentecost. At this time, it says, Peter began to lift up his voice and address the crowd. Now, the idea of Peter lifting up his voice or speaking up wasn't really out of character for him. <laughs> you see, Peter was the kind of guy who was bold and, and brash, and he was a fisherman who was just a little rough around the edges, if you know what I mean. Usually, uh, when Peter opened his mouth, it was just to change feet. <laughs> also, keep in mind, this is the same Peter 
who less than two months prior to this event literally denied he, he even knew Jesus, not once, not twice, but three different times in the same night. But this day was different. When Peter lifted off his voice to the crowd that day at Pentecost, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he spoke with wisdom, and he preached a powerful message that convicted the hearts of the people. The Bible says that that very day about 3,000 souls were saved. Now i got a question for you. Do you think Peter could have delivered such a powerful message on his own? Of course not. It was all the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. And church, the same applies to us. Without the Spirit filling us, we're left on our own. We're unable to serve God sufficiently and fulfill all that he has planned for our lives. And of course, Peter is just one of the many wonderful examples in the Bible that testifies to the fact that God uses ordinary, weak people, and he fills them with his Spirit to accomplish amazing things. At the Mile One offices, sometimes, uh, when we're preparing for our sermons, we often ask each other, give me your sermon in a sentence. So if I were to simply give you my sermon in a sentence this morning, it would be this. The Spirit-filled life is the privilege and the duty of the believer, and it's the only way to live a victorious Christian life. The Spirit-filled life is the privilege and the duty of the believer, and it's the only way to live a victorious Christian life. Now, with your Bibles open to Ephesians 5, uh, chapter 5, we're going to be looking at our text um, starting in verse 15. Verse 15, Paul writes, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And Paul is telling the church, don't be unwise, don't be foolish, don't be misled into thinking, how you walk or, or how you live doesn't matter, because it does. He's really challenging the Ephesians here to examine their hearts. He's saying, if you're made new in Christ, then your life must model it. Don't walk the path that you formerly walked when you were spiritually blind pagans. Instead, walk in newness because of your position in Christ. Keep your eyes fixed on the path paved by Christ. Don't be led away by what someone else is doing. You must be careful how you walk. Don't be unwise, but you must walk in wisdom. So really, church, he's making a contrast here between uh, wisdom and foolishness. Now, it's important to keep in mind, when he says unwise, he isn't talking about uh, human intellect, and he isn't referring to your IQ level. He's talking about it in a spiritual sense. And the Bible gives us a crystal clear outline of what someone who is unwise is actually like. Let me give you a few verses today. Proverbs 1 and 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and instruction. Psalms 14 and 1 says, The fool says in his heart, There is no God. Now, don't be mistaken, church. There are many fools who will claim to believe in God, but it's with their hearts that they deny Him. And they can only offer the Lord lip service. Now, there are many successful fools in society today, if you measure success by worldly standards. Some have earthly riches that you and I could never imagine. But listen, without Christ, 
They're spiritually bankrupt. Now, true wisdom, on the other hand, true wisdom comes from the Lord, and it's something that He desires all of His children to have. Job 28 and 28 says this, And He said to the man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. Proverbs 3 and 7 says this, Be not wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and turn from evil. Do you see a theme there? You see, really wisdom can be broken down into two parts that sort of go hand in hand. Fearing the Lord and turning from evil. If you fear the Lord and you turn from evil, you're going to be considered wise. And as believers... We have access to true wisdom, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit fills us and gives us wisdom in all areas of our life. Maybe you've been in a situation before where someone has questioned you about your faith. Well, it's the Spirit of God that's going to give you boldness to witness and the wisdom to say the right thing. Suppose you're out with some friends and and people try to pressure you into doing something that goes against your conscience. I mean, I'm sure that's a familiar scenario for most of us here. Um, But it's the Spirit of God that's going to empower you to live a pure life. Church, I want you to understand this morning that wisdom is a defining characteristic of a Spirit-filled person. We then have a follow-up to why we should walk in wisdom. Verse 16 says, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord. He tells us here to make the best use of the time. I just want you to notice something here. Notice he says, the time, but not our time. This is so critical that we understand this, Calvary, because we live in time, but we don't really have our own time. There's really no such thing as our own time. God alone is the ruler of time, and He's allowed us to be in time. So we are charged to be good stewards of it. We have to live wisely and and be good stewards of the time that God has given us here. Now, the phrase making the best use of the time could actually literally be translated to redeeming the time. And this word could be used in a context of a person buying a slave with the intention to set them free. And really, this is the same word to use uh, how Christ saved us. He redeemed us. He purchased us from sin with His death on the cross. And consider this, church. Because Christ redeemed us, we can redeem time. Through the work of the Spirit, we're enabled to live a life with wisdom and use the time that God has given us for His good purposes. I love this quote from John Wesley, uh, who once said, With all possible care, we are to redeem the time, saving all you can for the best purposes, buying every possible moment out of the hands of sin and Satan. And the idea is that every moment of our life should have meaning, should have purpose. We have to choose how we spend the time that God has given us for His purposes. 
We can't afford to spend time seeking pleasure and, and just chasing whatever makes us feel good. Why? Because the days are evil. Now, what Paul means here is that the general natural way that the world operates is opposed to God. He's not talking about a specific evil that's out there lurking in the shadows trying to get us. The world by its nature is, is fallen. It's sinful. It's, it's godless. And in God's sovereignty, the world is under the control of Satan. And 2 Corinthians 4 and 4 says this, The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan, the lowercase g God of this world, has the unbelieving world blinded from seeing the true light of Christ. Now, we as spirit-filled believers have the duty to make sure that we use the time that God has placed us in to proclaim Christ and be a light in the darkness with the hope of leading others to Christ. Really, this is the reason why Mile One Mission even exists. We want to use the time that God has given us to plant spirit-filled, Bible-believing, Christ-exalting churches in our neighborhoods across our city and across our province. Listen, Calvary. There's a sense of urgency here. There should not be a moment wasted in our lives. We can't just live our lives passively, sort of drifting here and drifting there. We are to redeem time and opportunities for the work of the gospel. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And this is the will of the Lord for all believers. It's God's will that His children avoid foolishness and live a life that is characterized by wisdom. It's God's will that we make the best use of the time that He has given us. It's God's will that we should be filled with the Spirit. Let's continue in our passage. Verse 18 says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, or as the CSB translation would put it, reckless living. But instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, this keeps in line perfectly with the previous verses that we just read, uh, comparing the wise to the unwise. You see, drunkenness is a supreme example of foolishness. And to be Spirit-filled is a supreme example of wisdom. When someone is drunk, they lose control of their behavior, their speech is slurred, and they make very unwise often life-altering decisions. He also seems to compare drunkenness as some sort of a, a counterfeit to being filled with the Spirit. I mean, after all, why do people get drunk? To party? Have a good time? Some drink to cope with life? Sort of numb your senses and feel euphoric to forget the past? You see, church, people get drunk in order to experience some form of joy. I mean, after all, there's a reason the bar is called happy hour. Unfortunately, there are many people who try to find joy at the bottom of a bottle, 
You see, drunkenness is, is a lifestyle for them. And you can ask anyone in this position how much joy that they have. And the answer is, they have none. Now, when someone is filled with the Spirit, they're going to experience true joy. In fact, to sum it all up, I would say that joy is the number one result of being filled with the Spirit. Joy is something that just springs forth naturally when your life is Spirit-filled. In Acts 13 and 52, it says, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And being filled with, this, uh, filled with joy, in a sense, could be considered sort of the litmus test of being filled with the Spirit. The indwelling Spirit of the Lord will bring true joy to our life. Now, because of the false teaching of the prosperity gospel, I just want to clarify what I mean. Sadly, it seems like churches today have lost the true meaning of the word joy. I'm not talking about living your best life now. It's not about having all your desires met or your dreams come true. It's not about having health or, or wealth or happiness. True joy is present in whatever circumstance or situation that you may be facing in life. Because we have complete hope in Christ, we are filled with the Holy Spirit and with joy. We can face pain, persecution, trials, and, and hardships, and still have the peace in our hearts from God because being filled with the Spirit also means that we're filled with the true joy of the Lord. I just want to take a moment and, and look at something in Acts chapter 16. You don't need to turn there or anything. Uh, you can just listen. Um, it tells us about the time when Paul and Silas were in chains, locked up in the Philippian prison. Starting in verse 25, it says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. The prisoners were listening to them, and, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Now, prisons at this time was definitely not a place you wanted to end up at. Uh, it would be a terrifying experience, to say the least. Prisoners would have been tortured and beaten and locked up and put away in chains. I mean, this kind of place would make Alcatraz seem like the Holiday Inn, if you know what I mean. Yet here we have old Paul and Silas locked away in a dark, dirty, dingy prison cell. However, instead of giving in to fear, which no doubt they were feeling, they began praying and singing hymns to God. And they weren't keeping quiet about it either because the other prisoners could hear them. Can you imagine being a fly on the wall that night, just seeing the looks on the prisoners' faces when Paul and Silas began singing? And they were probably thinking, well, the new guys have finally lost it. Or as we would say it around the bay, my son, you fellers got her gone. <laughs> but Paul and Silas kept on singing and, and praising God. Why? Because, listen, church, they were spirit-filled men who wisely set their focus on God. They made the best use of the time and the circumstances that God has placed them in by singing praises and praying to the Lord. 
Their public praise was the only real light in that dark prison, and they bore witness of God to all the prisoners who were there. Their hearts overflowed with true joy in the seemingly hopeless situation that they were in. Now it goes on to say, of course, that their prayers were answered and God caused a great earthquake and everyone's chains fell off. And of course, that was just a wonderful, joyful, miraculous experience. And that testified to the power of God to everyone who was present. I mean, the end result was that the very man who had them locked up received Christ. But I want you to notice something here, Calvary. Something that could be easily overlooked. You see, Paul and Silas expressed true joy through prayer and singing while they were still in chains. You see, all too often we're joyful when our prayers are answered, and praise God, hallelujah, but we're, we're nervous and we're anxious uh, when we wait and we pray to God. We need to understand that true spirit-filled joy is a present experience that is not based on the outcome of a situation, but is grounded in the reality of belonging to Christ and being filled by His Spirit. And that same Spirit that filled Paul and Silas is the same Spirit that fills us today. And the same joy that overflowed from them is available to every believer that's here today. These men found their strength in the joy of the Lord because, listen, Spirit-filled joy leads to spirit-filled strength. And when you have joy that is unspeakable, you're going to experience a faith that's unshakable. From verse 19 onward, we, we have sort of the results of being filled with the Spirit, springing from an overflow of true joy. Verse 19 says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and, and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything, everything, sorry, to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. My wife Lauren and I first came to Calvary Baptist in January of 2021. Almost exactly two years ago to this day, actually. Um, I believe it was actually the third Sunday of the month, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, we came to check it out and see what all these Baptists were all about. <laughs> but one thing we both remember this, uh, distinctly from our first service was the congregational singing. You see, after months of watching church through a computer screen, we're finally in a building with real people and we're really singing together. And that in and of itself seemed like a miracle. It seemed like everyone in the building was singing and it was just a joyful yet powerful experience. You see, church, there's nothing like getting together with fellow believers and singing praise to the Lord. I felt like we were getting a sneak peek of what it would be like in heaven. You see, when we're spirit-filled, we're filled with joy, and as a result of that joy, we want to worship the Lord. We want to sing praises to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lauren and I were so encouraged by our first visit here that uh, we just felt like we belonged here. And honestly, we couldn't wait to come back. And obviously, we did. <laughs> 
Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord just comes from an overflowing joy of being filled with the Spirit. And like Paul and Silas in the prison, we too can address one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We can also give thanks no matter what our circumstances are. We may not be bound in chains in a Philippian prison, but many of us here are dealing with things in our life that could leave us feeling hopeless. Whether it's the loss of a job and and the financial strain that comes with that, or the tragedy of grieving the loss of a loved one. There are brothers and sisters who may be dealing with uh, family issues, and some of us could be battling with addiction or other illnesses, either physical or mental. The reality is, church, that life can sometimes seem overwhelming. We feel real pain and real hurt. Oftentimes, we feel like we just have to sort of toughen up and and put on a fake smile and just pretend that everything is perfect. But God doesn't want us to bury these emotions. He wants us to take them to Him. And when we do, it strengthens our faith and it brings us closer to Him. You see, God desires to fill us with His Spirit. He desires to fill us with His joy. And as Spirit-filled believers, we can truly be thankful to God for all things because we know that He is completely sovereign and He is totally in control of the outcome of the situation. He always works it out for His good purposes, church. Amen? Would you say today that you are filled with the Holy Spirit? Like a sailboat that's carried along with the power of the wind, is is your life carried along in the power of the Spirit? Do you walk wisely? Is wisdom a defining characteristic of your life? Do you fear God? Do you turn from evil? I mean, after all, we learn that's what true wisdom is. Are you available for service? Are you ready and willing to redeem the time that God has given you to make a difference for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you have a deep sense of joy in your life? Joy that says, no matter what is thrown at me, I know that the Spirit of God is indwelling me, so I have nothing to fear. Do your heart long to burst forth in praise to the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you just want to get together with other believers and and sing to the Lord? Now listen, church, and hear me out when I say this. I'm not saying we're always going to be perfectly walking in the Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit who indwells us and fills us is 100% completely perfect. Unfortunately, we are not. We all fail and, and we stumble at times, but if you're a believer and it's been so long since you've felt the joy of the Lord in your life, it almost seems like a, a distant memory, then my question for you is, is why? Is there perhaps willful, unrepented sin in your life? Maybe God is calling you to surrender something that has broken your fellowship with Him. My friend, listen. Take it from someone who's been there. You need to turn your heart back to Jesus. Let His Spirit fill you because it is then and it is only then that you're going to experience victory in your Christian life.
Now, before I finish up today and the worship team returns to lead us in another psalm, I'd just like to address one more thing. Maybe you're here today and you've not yet received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I say this out of love and and the utmost respect to you, but you need to know something. Nothing that I've said here today applies to you. You see, in order to be spirit-filled, in order to know true wisdom, in order to experience true joy, you must first experience the true God. You need to be born again. You must repent of your sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the good news is that you can know Jesus if you turn to Him and, and confess Him as Lord and have faith in His righteousness alone. He'll make you a child of God. If this is you, please don't leave here today thinking that this is something you decide on your own and you can just decide later to turn to God. If the Spirit is convicting you now, don't turn away. If you hear His voice today, don't harden your heart. Please talk to someone before you leave. We would love to pray with you today. Let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful today to be here as your body, as the church, Lord. We're so grateful for the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. It's the only reason we're here, Lord. It's because you changed us, Lord, and you are the cause of our salvation. I just pray, Father God, that as we start off a new week and and really, Lord, refresh into a new year, that we'll live wisely, Lord through the Spirit, that we'll make the best use of the time, Lord, that you've provided for us. And Lord God, that we'll uh, be filled with a true sense of joy, Lord, in your presence. Bless us this day, Father, and we're, we're so thankful, Lord, for all that you are. In Jesus' holy and precious name.